and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we got some sweet new technology for Christmas, and as tradition would hold, we are still having technology issues, and so we have already recorded this podcast. We are re-recording it for the sake of the, the listeners. Yep. Uh, I had to deal with some tedious work today, so I've had some bourbon. You just watched a completely and totally indefensible performance by Virginia Tech in the first half turn into a second-half domination and win over Arkansas. So I think it's fair to call this the uh, Basketball Conference ACC Bowl Preview Part 2 Lit Edition. Is that is that a fair assessment? Very lit. And it's lit in Charlotte tonight because the Hokies came out with that W, and I couldn't be more excited about it. I'm not quite as lit as you are in all likelihood because I'm at home. Um, not that that's, I mean, not that you're not at home. I mean, we're not degenerates. We do work. But uh, Hokies came back. What a W. Um, ugly first half. Second half, very, very good. Gerard Evans can't say enough about how good he is. Um, he's been just a very, very good player for Tech all year long. Nothing really seems to rattle him, which is extremely positive, obviously, uh, when you're in the face of adversity like they've been uh, the last couple of games especially. But... Yeah, hats off to the Hokies. Defense, I thought, was fantastic, especially in the second half, uh, to hold Arkansas to, like, 35 total yards. So, you know, sorry, Brett Bielema. You'll have to go home eat about half a dozen cheeseburgers to get over this one. But, uh, I mean, he would have done that if they won either. That's, so. that's true. So, um, yeah, somebody needs to get that man a dietitian, I guess, for, for Christmas, <laughs> late Christmas present. Uh, so busy game planning for the bowl game. Yeah, like you know, way too much five guys. So hook them up with the uh, with the salad, a couple Kleenex. We'll get over this one. So first of all, fair to say that I think we got to the the result that we were looking for there. Just not anywhere near in the fashion that we kind of thought we would get there. And I I think too that of eleven ACC bowl games, that's got to be the favorite in the clubhouse for weirdest bowl game so far. It's up there. Uh, but we'll, yeah. But we'll be uh, we'll be recapping these bowl games here uh, so far as, as we sit here recording the evening of uh, the 29th. Obviously, again later than we planned on, but uh, thanks for the uh, technology issues, you know, wherever that came from. So uh, we'll be getting to those eventually. But we've still got five ACC bowl games left to preview, Mike. Uh, we've talked about all the ones so far up until the uh, the Arkansas Virginia Tech game on the 29th. Yep. So we got to start here on the 30th. This is tomorrow uh, in the afternoon at 2 p.m. on CBS. The 8-4 North Carolina Tar Heels, two-and-a-half-point underdogs to the number 18 Stanford Cardinal in the Hyundai Sun Bowl from the Sun Bowl in El Paso, Texas. And, Mike, we've got a couple of guys who have who are not going to be playing in this game, a couple of feature running backs, uh, and Elijah Hood for North Carolina and Christian McCaffrey for Stanford. And I gotta say, it really feels like it takes a lot of luster, and it really kind of ch- well, it takes a lot of luster off the game, and it really also kind of changes the dynamic of how I figure this game is going to play out. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So on my end, anyway, um, you look at this game, and it's interesting because you know, no Christian McCaffrey for Stanford. You're thinking, okay, how are the Cardinal going to manufacture offense um, against this? against this North Carolina defense, and North Carolina's defense hasn't been great this year, but they've been good enough, and, you know, you look at the Tar Heels, and, you know, rushing defense has been their weakness for a number of years now, but, 
you know, no Christian McCaffrey in the lineup for Stanford, and Stanford's defense more than confident of slowing down North Carolina, but they're not going to be able to completely stop the Tar Heels, in my opinion. Even though, the, you know, North Carolina will be without Elijah Hood for this game, they still have Mitch Trubisky, talented group of receivers, and Larry Fedora offensively has that team rolling um, game in and game out, as, as it seems, um, you know, NC State game notwithstanding. So, yeah, I mean, this is a tough matchup for Stanford, I think. Um, I think the dynamic does change a little bit. I think Stanford will definitely hang around in this game. I think it'll be a, a bowl game that'll still be relatively close, but I have trouble, in my opinion, anyway, seeing Stanford put up enough points here to compete with the North Carolina offense that, you know, Elijah Hood or not, they're going to put up points. I mean, there have been times where you and I have discussed that they haven't used Elijah Hood enough, so how much are they really going to miss him in this bowl game? Like, you know, that really remains to be seen, but... I know one thing's for certain, Stanford will really miss Christian McCaffrey, and I think that could be a difference in this game. I'm right there with you. I So the way that I put this is, so let's let's take away those two players, right, and let's look at some of the top you know, important pieces on offense for both of these teams without those two key players, right? So for North Carolina, you got Mitch Trubisky, probably one of the higher-rated quarterbacks going into the draft next year. You've got T.J. Logan at running back who has spelled for Elijah Hood over the last couple of years and been very, very good in a lot of ways. You've got Ryan Switzer and Bug Howard who are very dangerous kind of in their own respects. And then on Stanford's team, you've got, what, we got Ryan Burns and Keller Christ at quarterback who have kind of split time and neither one's been particularly dominant or effective. They've combined, they've combined for 14 touchdowns and nine interceptions on the year over less than 300 attempts. Uh, running back, you got Bryce Love, who, I mean, has been fine, but not Christian McCaffrey levels of dangerous. Right. And then receiving, you've got three leading receivers, none of which have 500 yards in the year. Uh, and so on some level, I got to feel pretty good about North Carolina's chances here, just from a straight offensive firepower level, even if... You know they they're they're going to be losing you know one of their stars here uh, and and I think also you can look at on defense Stanford's defense is built kind of in a way that they're gonna they're gonna win the battle in the box yep. uh, with the defensive line and the linebackers but uh, I don't know that they have the offensive firepower even against uh, a kind of suspect North Carolina defense to really keep up with what that Tar Heel offense can do. We have to we have to give a disclaimer here, as we did with our part one bowl preview, that with these bowl games, sometimes motivation can be an issue. You don't really know who wants to be there, who's really trying, and who cares, and who doesn't, and all this. And so, with that element aside, I gotta really like North Carolina in this game. Yep. And yet, uh, and yet, if you had to pick a team out of the ACC that could come into a bowl game flat, especially given kind of where they were placed. Man, North Carolina's got to be right up there. Yeah, and they continue to have this Sun Bowl in El Paso, Texas. And what's really interesting to me is that, you know, every year we're talking about these games, and it's like, do any of these teams actually want to go play in El Paso, Texas? I mean, that's kind of what we're dealing with every year is, hey, these teams don't actually want to be there, do they? And... You know, I'm wondering if that's actually the case or not, but it seems like that that's constantly what comes up, and that's what's talked about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The way North Carolina's season ended, obviously being in the mix in the Coastal Division after Virginia Tech lost to Georgia Tech, a couple things had to fall North Carolina's way, but 
they lay an egg against NC State in the season finale against an in-state rival. Obviously, that wasn't good. And then, you know, you come into this game and you're playing Stanford, but the juice is kind of taken out of it. No Christian McCaffrey. Elijah Hood can't go. You know, it'll be interesting to see what North Carolina team shows up. I mean, I think they should show up motivated just from a recruiting standpoint for the offseason. And then you have, on top of all of that, all of the rumors circulating about Larry Fedora and all these other head coaching jobs that are open across the country or were open across the country while they're preparing for this bowl game. It's like, how motivated is North Carolina going to come out and, and play? And, uh, you know, are they going to be ready to go? And that's something that we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, if you want to start factoring in coach motivation, man, Larry Fedora, I could see pretty much running away with the most likely to be non-motivated for their bowl game as far as yep. coaches go within the ACC. Um, the thing I will mention, I thought that was funny that you brought up, is you know how much does anyone want to be in El Paso? Um, in the 2012 Sun Bowl, Georgia Tech played against USC, and the Trojans then, under the command of one Lane Kiffin, Oh, uh, they stood up. They stood up Georgia Tech for a dinner, and they kind of said some stuff like, "Why are we in crappy El Paso?" and some stuff. And it was like, in three days, the city of El Paso went from like, "Yay, we've got a bowl game, and there's some cool teams here," all the way to like, "Go Georgia Tech, screw it, USC." Like the whole stadium was like, it was like a home game for Georgia Tech, which is uh, bizarre. But yeah, it's. I mean, those things will happen. I mean, you get sent to weird places, and the uh, the effect is not always a positive one. So. Yeah, give me uh, give me North Carolina in this game straight up. Uh, they're two and a half point dogs. Give me them straight up. I'll take North Carolina maybe uh, say twenty eight twenty four here. Oh, that's and, a nice score uh, prediction. Yeah, twenty eight twenty four. Uh, but again, that's very. I, I'm going to put this one at very tentative, given I don't know how much I can trust motivation at all. Yep, twenty eight twenty four sounds like in the neighborhood of probably what it should be or what it could be. Um, you know, given where North Carolina's at where Stanford's at who's playing on both sides um, I, I think there will be a decent amount of offense in this game so I can see the score getting a little bit higher than that even but you know I think North Carolina's defense has definitely improved from past years and Stanford's defense has been good all year they've just had a lot of issues on offense with McCaffrey's health not being where where it has been or where it was anyway last year and then all the issues they've had at quarterback as well so um, give me North Carolina to win this game as well for what it's worth, the game total here is 54, and at 28-24, that would come out to 52 points, so just right in that neighborhood and just short, so um, at your own risk. Mike, we're going to work through these games. <laughs> if, yeah, I, I've, I've learned so far through the ACC Bowl games that there's a reason they call it gambling and not free money here, right. so um, yeah, be very careful, but... Uh, Mike, we're going to work through these games in chronological order, with one exception. Uh, the next game in chronological order would be the Orange Bowl, uh, but we're going to do that later as a part of the you know New Year's Six and in, in, uh, playoff picks. So we'll get to that here in a little bit. But for now, we got to move on to New Year's Eve, December thirty first. We got two games at eleven a.m. We will start with the one that is on ESPN, and that is the Tax Slayer Bowl from Everbank Field in Jacksonville, Florida, where my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. At eight and four, are three and a half point favorites against the Kentucky Wildcats out of the SEC, and this is like a, a game where these two teams actually kind of match up in a weird way, where they're kind of mirror images of each other, where they both love to run the ball. They're not particularly you know proficient with passing it. Uh, they're 
okay, but not particularly good on defense. And this could very quietly turn into a little bit of a shootout here, Mike. Yeah, you knew Kentucky wasn't proficient at throwing the football when Patrick Tolles used to play quarterback for them. Um, now they've moved on to Steven Johnson, who's thrown for a meager 1,800 yards and 12 touchdowns this year. I feel like you and I have probably thrown for that many yards for as long as we've been doing the podcast. Um, Stanley Williams, they like to run the ball with him, 1,100 yards rushing, seven touchdowns on the year. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech, it all comes down to play Justin Thomas, as it usually does. Um, you know, will he come out, you know, in his final collegiate game and play well? I mean, I expect him to. He usually does. It's very rare where you get a really, really poor Justin Thomas game. He's usually um, not the main reason that Georgia Tech loses, um, but he's also right in the mix and, and one of the main reasons why they win. So I think he holds all of the cards here as far as how well Georgia Tech's going to play. Um I don't think Kentucky's any good, so that's kind of where I'm at with this. I have a hard time believing that Kentucky made a bowl game and won seven games this year, and it's, you know, the feeling that I have about Kentucky is very similar to the feeling that I have with Boston College, where Boston College gets to a bowl game, they win, and it's like, what the hell just happened? Um, that's kind of where I'm at with Kentucky as well. I understand Kentucky beat Louisville in the season finale, but you and I could have lined up with a couple of our buddies and we could have beaten Louisville. They just weren't there um, in that last game of the year. They were coming off that loss to Houston. Louisville was officially eliminated um, from the foot, from the college football playoffs. So how motivated were they to actually be there? Uh, probably not really that motivated at all. Um, it's an in-state game that Louisville has owned in recent years. Um, you could tell they their heads were in it to begin with. So Kentucky was able to steal a win there. Um, to, to get to seven wins on the year heading into this bowl game. Uh, but I like Georgia Tech. I think that, you know, Georgia Tech's offense, I think Justin Thomas is the reason why they've played well for most of the year. They've gotten to eight wins for a reason. He's going to finally be healthy for the bowl game. He should, you know, he should get under center his final collegiate game and play well. So I like Georgia Tech to win. They should get enough stops on defense, try to make Kentucky one-dimensional. And Georgia Tech's defense has been pretty good at times this year, um, and they have been able to stop some teams. I think, you know, they've slowed down, you know, offenses that are much, much better than Kentucky's. So I think that they'll find a way to slow down Kentucky in this game and score enough points to win. Mike, if somebody just zapped into my living room right now and said, you know, I'm from a week in the future, and I can tell you that Georgia Tech came out flat in a bowl game, I'd be like, yep, that sounds about right. Like, I've seen that before. I, that happens, and that has happened, and that is a normal thing to have happened. But And and what's the first thing you said to me earlier? We're texting back and forth during the Virginia Tech game. You're like, hey, Virginia Tech might want to wake up. And I texted you with, hey, this is the Virginia Tech team that starts really slow and comes out flat. So, you know, I'm familiar with those parts. It, it can happen. It has happened. Today, even. But, um, <laughs> th- look, that can happen. And it has happened, but I don't think it's going to happen for Georgia Tech here in this game. I think that several of its senior leaders, this being their last game, I, I mean, of course, every team in bowl season is going to have senior leaders, but uh, I, I think that this is one in particular with, you know, Justin Thomas, with Pat Gamble on defense, with Harrison Butker and Ryan Rodwell as their kicker and their punter. There's just there's enough guys that are leaders on this team that are playing in their last game that I don't think that they're going to let this team kind of come out flat for a bowl game. I think that they're going to be ready to go, uh, ready to kind of put on a show, hopefully for the crowd. Um, 
One of the interesting things I think to look at is that Kentucky and Georgia Tech here have had two common opponents this year, and that is Vanderbilt and Georgia. Uh, Georgia Tech beat Vanderbilt by 31 and beat Georgia by, what was it, 1, I guess? Yeah, 28-27, I believe was the final score. Uh, never forget. But uh, <laughs> uh, Kentucky beat Vanderbilt by 7 and lost to Georgia by 3. Uh, and that was at home against Georgia, whereas Georgia Tech was on the road. So, um, I mean, for, from that standpoint, you know, it kind of makes sense that Georgia Tech might be a little bit of a better team. Uh, as you mentioned, Kentucky's best game of the year by a, by a mile and their best win of the year by a mile was against Louisville there in the last week of the year. Uh, I, I take that game with a little bit of a grain of salt because I think Louisville was extremely flat yep. on, in that game, especially on defense coming off a loss to Houston. So um, careful because beyond the, beyond the Louisville win is Kentucky's best win, Mike, uh, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, or Mississippi State? Probably. It doesn't matter. It's They're it all kind of the I mean, same they're team. all bad. I, I guess you could actually even argue for Mississippi State now that Mississippi State won their bowl game, but I all guess, bad. yeah. None of them are good. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the big difference is Mississippi State won their bowl game. The other two teams have lost. Yeah. So... Kentucky, I mean, they're seven and five, but man, they are a little bit of an empty seven and five. Where, I mean, they got smoked by Florida, they got smoked by Alabama, who didn't. Uh, they lost to Tennessee by two touchdowns. They lost to Georgia at home in a game that they were leading in. I mean, look, if if I find out that Kentucky beat Georgia Tech, I mean, I, there have been far more shocking things, but I think Kentucky just you know. Being that they're seven and five might be a little overrated from what that record might indicate, oh, yeah. especially in a in a pretty weak SEC East. So, yeah, yep. give me Georgia Tech in this game. Um, I I am always going to be nervous about picking Georgia Tech to win a bowl game, uh, considering I went a lot of my life without seeing that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> stuff happens. But yeah, give me a little a uh, little bit of a quiet little shootout here. I I think that both these defenses are going to have a tough time with the offenses. Uh, give me the Yellow Jackets here, like 38-28. I think this is a little bit of a high-scoring game. If And if you think it's going to be a close game and it's like flip it the coin, who's going to win this thing, just remember Kentucky does not see the Georgia Tech option offense in the SEC at all. So this is not an offense that Kentucky has any idea how to prepare for. So just think of it that way. If you think Kentucky's going to hang around, that's fine. But if you're going to say just straight up who's going to win the game, I think you can bank on Georgia Tech just based off of the fact that if both teams play how they're capable of playing, Kentucky has never seen Georgia Tech's offense this season. They haven't seen anything close to that um, in SEC play or otherwise. So I think that's the way you have to handicap it and look at it as well. And actually, Mike, fun little anecdote, if I can take like a minute here. Go for it. Uh, all right. I mean, I figured that we are equal owners of this podcast. so That's, that's uh, right. Both got share uh, 50, rights. Got both both have fifty. I can't even talk. Both have fifty percent stake in it. That's so. right, fifty percent ownership. Yes. Um. So so you mentioned that Kentucky has not ever you know has not seen this Georgia Tech offense at all recently. Um. The the closest thing that they have seen is their head coach is Mark Stoops. He was the defensive coordinator at Florida State in 2012 when a six and six Georgia Tech team was third in the Coastal and went to the ACC championship game because both UNC and Miami were ineligible for postseason play. 
yeah, those were good times in the ACC. Um, so Georgia Tech at six and six goes in and plays like ten and two or eleven and one Florida State on their way to an Orange Bowl, and uh, a, a a mildly talented Tevin Washington led Georgia Tech team hung fifteen points on Florida State and needed a, you know a late turnover to get beat by six points by a, a wildly talented Jimbo Fisher led Seminoles team. So. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and act like Mark Stoops is the uh, the grand wizard of how to defend this offense because there there's a there's not exactly like a, a high performing track record there. Right. So um, yeah, so that's that's worth mentioning as well. Fair enough, man. Help an anecdote. I agree with you. <laughs> that's I mean, sports my argument, man. So what the hell? That's right. Well, I was in the press box for that one and. Uh, yeah, that's that's story for, for story for another time. We'll do that sometime. Anyways, moving on, Mike. So I say moving on, but really at the same exact time. Also December thirty first. Also eleven in the morning on ABC. This one, the Buffalo Wild Wing Citrus Bowl from Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. And this is like the sixth bowl game that's going to be played in that stadium this year. Um, if you're for those keeping track at home, the number thirteen nine and three Louisville Cardinals aforementioned has having lost their last two games of the regular season they're coming in as three-point underdogs to the number 28 and three lsu tigers uh out of the sec and mike i've got some real strong takes on this game and i we have not really talked about and i say we haven't really talked this is kind of rehearsing exactly what we did in the last podcast so you kind of know exactly what my, my takes are here but uh, i'm gonna let you kind of talk your way through this game first and then I'll let you know if I agree or disagree with where you stand. Sure. Well, 11 a.m. start, so the LSU fans watching Duck Dynasty, their early morning episode while they're eating cereal, are going to have to roll out of bed there, put their cereal aside, then sprint to the stadium half hungover. So, apologies. By the way, they don't, they don't, they don't put milk on their cereal. They put like bourbon on their cereal. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, gotta gotta start uh start tailgating really, really early for this one. Um, My kind of people. Yeah. So. DVR that Duck Dynasty episode, um, all you LSU people, um, or lizard lick towing, something like that. We'll go like real hick style. Um, anyway, so my take on this game, we talked about it yesterday. We're gonna talk about it again here. I think Louisville has an excellent chance to win this football game. Um, not a lot of people seem to think that, though. I think I might be in the minority. LSU comes in three-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, obviously, offensively, they played a lot better once they had Danny Etling playing quarterback full-time. Um, and then, you know, they had the issues with Leonard Fournette at running back all year long. Various guys at running back, very good. Um, outrushed Fournette this year, so LSU's in good hands there in the running game. But... You know, I, th- I think a lot of people look at Louisville and they, you know, they point to, you know, late late in the season, the collapse and, you know, didn't play well against Houston, didn't play particularly well, obviously, against Kentucky in the final game of the year. So you're sitting here against LSU and you're thinking, okay, you got to go up against an SEC offense. SEC, well, yeah, more like a, you know, group of five offense and an SEC defense. I'm in rare form tonight, Joey. And, um, <laughs> you know, you're sitting yeah, no kidding. And then you're sitting here thinking, okay, how is Louisville going to um, put points on the board against a defense that's been very good all year? And it's a big reason why LSU um, has remained in a lot of their games. 
But, you know, Louisville does, you know, have the Heisman Trophy winner quarterback on their team, a competent running back, um, Brandon Radcliffe, an offensive line that has shown that they are capable of playing well, um, even though they didn't play well down the stretch this year. And they got a great group of receivers and a lot of athletes on both sides of the football. Um, You know, I think I liken, you know, LSU a bit to Florida State and the talent that they have on the defensive side of the ball. And we saw what Louisville did to Florida State. LSU is obviously a little bit more talented than Florida State is on defense, but they play a much similar style um, that Florida State does. Um, And so I think that Louisville is capable of putting up a lot of points on a defense such as this. But, uh, you know, Louisville's defense is going to have to play well in this game, and they're going to have to stop the run. Um, If they don't stop the run, they're in a lot of trouble. But I think if they stop the run, try to make LSU one-dimensional, make Danny Etling throw the football, even though Etling has been good for LSU for a majority of the year since he took over as a starting quarterback, you know, he could be had, uh, in my opinion. And, you know, Louisville's defense has been has been pretty solid throughout most of the season, and they're going to have to have another good game here against LSU. But, yeah, I'd like Louisville's offense to be able to put up some points here against LSU. I mean, I think they've done it against comparable defenses here this season uh, when looking at Clemson and Florida State. And... You know, they struggled down the stretch, but, you know, you get a month off, time to rest up, um, time to look at some film, most importantly, to see kind of what went wrong down the stretch. What are they doing now differently from what they were doing earlier in the year when they were so dominant on offense? And I expect Lamar Jackson to make a couple plays here and um, get Louisville the win. Uh, you know, LSU three and a half. I think, LS, uh, I think Louisville is going to be able to upset the Tigers in the Citrus Bowl uh, and win. Mike, I got some takes on this game, and uh, let's just say they're a little different than yours. Uh, so, so, being a Louisville fan, I got to tell you, and I, and I told my dad, who grew up in Louisville, is also a big Louisville fan, and kind of the reason for my Louisville fandom. Uh, I was Go home over rap. Christmas. I was talking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, best reason that I can, you know, come up with. Anyways, um, I was home over Christmas, and I, I talked to him about this game, and I got to tell you, Mike. Uh, I I don't think that Louisville stands a chance in this game, and strong. Let take. me tell you why. Yeah, that's a that's one of my stronger takes that I've had. Uh, let me tell you why. So think back to a game back in late November where uh, Louisville was at Houston, and I was at the uh, the ball game watching this. And think about how bad Houston's defense made Louisville's offense look. Right, Louisville's offensive line did not stand a chance in that game, and I'll tell you why that's why that matters. Is Todd Orlando is the defensive coordinator at Houston at the time? He's now moved on to Texas with Tom Herman, but the the strategy that Todd Orlando employed in that game was, and not just in that game, but just kind of in general, this is the defensive strategy at Houston: is generate pressure not by sending a lot of people, but by sending you're not really sure who. Yep. Uh, you you might send just four off the defensive line. You might send linebackers. You might send corners or safeties. You might it might come from anywhere. On any given play, you're not sending really more than like four or five guys, but you're able to confuse the offensive line by sending them from unpredictable places. And and that was really just the undoing of Louisville, is because their offensive line is pretty poorly coached. They're not particularly talented, and and it just ate them alive. And here's why this is relevant, Mike, is that Todd Orlando's scheme is a very similar uh, sort of methodology and and philosophy to the one that Dave Aranda uses for LSU. 
And so basically I think what you're going to see in this game is exactly what Todd Orlando's defense did, except maybe even worse, considering that LSU is doing the same thing with more talent. And I think there's potential here for for Louisville to come in flat. Uh, You figure about a month ago they thought they might sneak their way into the playoff. Here they are not even in a New Year's Six game. Um, look, they've got the they've got the Heisman Trophy winner on their side in Lamar Jackson, obviously, and that that has to count for something. But I I just feel like this is about as bad of a matchup for Louisville as there could be in this game, and and I I don't feel like the Cardinals really stand a good chance here. As you mentioned, I mean the the LSU offense has been okay. Um, it's been much better since uh, Ed Orgeron took over as the head coach. Uh, few months ago and and obviously he just got an extension into the full head coaching position for the next couple of years um and so i i, I kind of expect lsu is going to want to play hard for him the players seem to really like him but man just top to bottom mike this this seems like the worst matchup for louisville just about as bad as you can imagine we'll just have to see <laughs> no we got I strong mean, takes on both sides of this game no i mean i you know the whole the whole thing with this is it's bowl season. It's unpredictable. I could see this game going a number of different ways. I could see a blowout. I could see Louisville blowing out LSU because LSU can't put enough points on the board. I could see what the entire scenario you just described. LSU's defense overwhelms Louisville. They come out with a victory. I could see you know Louisville maybe implode and LSU blow them out, you know, even though LSU's offense hasn't been great. I mean, if the defense produces a couple touchdowns, you'd get out of hand that way as well. So go a number of different directions. We'll just have to see. Um, I, you know, I could see both scenarios playing out, though. LSU's defense producing a couple touchdowns is nowhere near out of the realm of possibility. No way. I mean, I think that could happen. I think Louisville could win the game, and LSU's defense could still score once or twice. I mean, I think that scenario could mm-hmm. play out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Louisville's defense, worth mentioning. I mean, they're, they're capable. They've got talent and they've got results, but um, that's another unit I could totally see coming out flat. It just it just depends. Um, but certainly, I mean, the LSU defense, as talented as they are, yeah. I don't know. Mike, I think this is a terrible matchup for Louisville. Give me LSU. Um, I'll take LSU in this game. Maybe, um, call it maybe 28 to 10. Damn. I think it's bad. Damn. I think it's ugly. Three touchdowns, huh? <laughs> yeah. Not pretty. Three touchdowns. So so uh pick of the week maybe? Cover three and a half? Whew. Uh yeah, I'll actually gotta kinda consider that. Damn man. Um yeah, we'll get there here in a little bit. You ready to move on? Alright, let's do it. Let's do it. And by moving on, I mean let's actually go back in time. Uh, back to the night before, December 30th at 8 p.m. on ESPN. As I mentioned before, this is the Capital One Orange Bowl from Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Florida, where the number 11 Florida State Seminoles at 9-3 and three come in as a seven-point underdog, Mike, to the number six Michigan Wolverines at 10-2 and two out of the Big Ten. Uh, this kind of feels a little bit like this line is a little inflated, at least to yep. me. You, you want to talk me out of this, or are you, are you with me on that? Line's inflated thousand percent i uh you're putting way too much stock in the michigan offense it hasn't really been all that good this year um you're relying a lot on wilton spade to throw the football down the field to darbo and then pray that something else happens in the running game that really hasn't been all that good i don't know that's a big ask um florida state's defense is 
a pretty solid group. There are a lot of athletes there. I mean, I, you know, I think that people are forgetting that this is a Florida State team that is every bit as talented as many of the teams, many of the other teams in the New Year's Six. Um, you know, Florida State had a couple of early losses on the year. Everybody looks back to the Louisville game. You know, good for Louisville getting that win against Florida State, but I think people had massive, massive overreactions about Florida State after that game, saying, yeah, you know, Florida State's not ready for the big time. While all that may be true, Florida State is still a really good football team, and they went up against a Louisville team that was just a buzzsaw on offense at that particular time. Um, But Florida State has a lot of athletes, they have a lot of good players, and this is a team that a lot of people had um, in the playoff in the preseason. It was a very popular pick to win the ACC and, you know, be playing in a game, you know, like Clemson's playing in, um, in the Fiesta Bowl. So... I don't know, it's very interesting how the tables kind of turn there, but yeah, I mean, the line's inflated in my opinion. I think Florida State, they're going to struggle running the football potentially because Michigan's rushing defense has been so good all year long, the best rushing defense in the country by a lot of metrics, as I drop my earbuds here. Um, Yeah, Michigan's running defense really good. It is so lit. So lit. So lit. Uh, Florida State, obviously, is Dalvin Cook at running back playing in his last collegiate game because he's surefire first-round pick. Um, And you look at the Seminoles, and, you know, they're going to have to rely on DeAndre Francois throwing the football, which, as you mentioned in our first go-around in this, is a very scary proposition with that Michigan secondary being as good as they've been. Um, But either way you slice it, I mean, I think the easier of of the two, if if you have to, you know, slice and dice it, is Florida State's going to have to throw rather than run in this game if they want to score enough points to beat Michigan. Um, and by scoring enough points, I mean, you have to get in 20s and not turn the ball over. Um, and, or if you're going to turn the ball over, don't give Michigan a short field because the Michigan offense isn't all that good. Um, I think you take your chances with Spate having to go, you know, 70, 80 yards down the field to beat you. Um, but I wouldn't give him a short field and that Michigan offense a short field. They got enough really good players on that side of the ball to get it done. But I trust Florida State in this game enough to not only cover seven, but to beat Michigan. Um, I think that offensively they're going to, you know, score just enough points, get in the 20s, and I think DeAndre Francois is going to play well. He played very well in the last month of the season. Uh, Really, if you, you know, since mid-October, take away that North Carolina game, you know, kind of from there on in, I thought Francois played really well, and you know the caliber of competition certainly went down. It was a front-loaded schedule for Florida State, but at the same time, there was real improvement there at quarterback and stuff. You know, there there's some some tangible um, aspects of his game that he's going to continue to improve upon and gain confidence in as he moves forward. So, I like Florida State to win this game because I don't think Michigan Michigan is going to score enough on Florida State's defense, and I think the Seminoles will find a way to manufacture enough points to win and take care of the football. Most importantly. Uh, what should be an, an exciting game either way, I think it'll be extremely close. I'm with you here, Mike. I, I, as much as a, you know, Florida State's a seven-point underdog, I kind of like them to win outright as well. And, and I want to be real here there for a second. I mean, if you look at some advanced stats, so we, we talked about Bill Conley's S&P Plus quite a bit. Defensively, by S&P Plus metrics, Michigan is the number one defense in the country, and it is not close. Uh, they are uh, about almost two and a half points better than Alabama at number two, and they are eight points better than Ohio State at number three. That is a 
that is a ludicrous difference. Figuring that the the difference between Michigan at number one and Ohio State at number three by this metric is the same as Ohio State at number three and Stanford at number nineteen. I mean, this is a huge difference. That Michigan's defense is phenomenal, and that that cannot be understated. They are really really good. But the problem comes when Michigan's on offense where, I mean, they have really done their part to beat up on some really bad teams such as Hawaii, Central Florida, uh, Rutgers, etc. But at the same time, they have struggled quite a bit down the stretch. Before playing Ohio State, they scored 27 points against Ohio State. You know, that's in an overtime game. They put up 13 points on offense at Iowa, which is okay. And... 20 points on Indiana, which is very concerning if you're a Michigan fan. Um, that is, offensively, Michigan is not particularly good. And I think that as much as, you know, their, their defense is the best piece of this game, Florida State's defense is no slouch. Um, Florida State's defense is capable of, of doing some damage and, and really kind of limiting an offense that can't be creative and can't really uh, kind of manufacture a lot of yards and a lot of points. And so... I'm with you here. As I mentioned before, and as you kind of mentioned, I'm afraid of the thought of DeAndre Francois throwing into a secondary that has guys like Jabril Peppers and Jordan Rogers in it. That is that is a legitimately terrifying thought for me picking Florida State to win because one one bad throw by DeAndre Francois not only turns into an incompletion, not only might turn into an interception, but could easily turn into six points for Michigan. That's a scary thought. Um, but, I mean, we've seen Dalvin Cook this year go up against some really good defenses and guys like Clemson and, and guys like Florida and come away with some big yards. Um, he he can do it against some of the best defenses. They've got some really good blockers on the Florida State offensive line. I think that with Dalvin Cook, I think he's going to go over 100 yards. And for him, I mean, that's, that's a reasonable pedestrian standard. But I think Dalvin Cook's going to be able to get some moving, you know, some movement going on offense. DeAndre Francois is going to be able to make some throws. Maybe not, you know, if it comes down to DeAndre Francois having to win the game, I don't feel great about it. But I'm with you, Mike. Give me uh, give me Florida State outright to beat Michigan. Uh, I'll take Florida State maybe 21-17 in a pretty low-scoring affair. If Dalvin Cook gets 70 yards rushing and scores twice, that will be enough, in my opinion. Because I think DeAndre Francois is going to be capable of throwing a touchdown pass. And if he does, you're at 20. And I'm not sure Michigan scores 20 points unless Florida State turns it over deep in their own territory, in my opinion. Yeah, I guess by that metric, I, I agree with that, that the best path for, for Michigan to win this game is if Florida State kind of beats themselves yep. and gives Michigan a short field or two and... If, if, if Florida State's forcing Michigan to go 60, 70, 80 yards to score, you know, any points, Florida State should win this game. But if, if Michigan starts getting short fields, it changes the whole thing. Michigan doesn't make a lot of mistakes either now. Um, that's kind of important to note. Um, they don't really beat themselves, but I don't think they're good enough offensively. I mean, I mean they don't have to turn the ball over to – not get in the end zone. Um, I, I think Florida State can get enough stops by maybe not even turning Michigan over and win the football game. Um, Michigan's defense 
really has been the reason why they're at 10-2 and two right now. Michigan has won plenty of close games this year with very little offense. If it's a low, if it's a very low scoring game, I think it favors Michigan. But if Florida State is able to establish some sort of run with Cook, if Cook scores twice, gets to 70 yards on the ground, all Francois needs to do is throw a touchdown pass or two, and that's a lot to ask against his Michigan defense. But if he can do that, they're going to have a great chance to win the game. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's. There, there are obviously. I mean, there's a reason that Michigan is favored by a, a full touchdown here. Um, Still trying to figure it out. It, I mean, I guess this comes down to does Florida State beat themselves? And if if Florida State doesn't, which you know might be a tall ask with a freshman quarterback and such, but if if Florida State doesn't beat themselves, yeah, give me the Seminoles. Running the ball will really help. Yeah, well, get Delvin Cook going, keep him healthy, and. Uh, Ride him to victory. The less you can do it, Seminoles. The less pressure on Francois, the better off Florida State will be. I'm just a little bit afraid that if Dalvin Cook doesn't get going, Francois is going to have to shoulder more of the load. I think if Francois has to throw 30, 35 times, he's going to make a mistake or two. But you just need to hope that he's not making a mistake deep in his own territory because that's where Michigan will kill you. Yep. As I said, if if Florida State's got to lean on Francois to win the game. They are in. They are in a heap of trouble. They can so. still do it. It just won't be easy. That's right. We'll see. We're less than uh, less than twenty four hours from kickoff, Mike. Which means, I'm, you know, we better edit the hell out of this podcast and get it posted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. That means we should probably talk about the playoff, huh? That's right. It's about time. That's the last one we got to talk about. It is uh, seven o'clock p.m. on New Year's Eve, December thirty first, running right up until the. Uh, the ball dropping in New York City and all that good stuff. On ESPN, the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl from University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, where the number two Clemson Tigers, the ACC champions at 12-1, and they're a three-point underdog, Mike, to the number three non-Big Ten champion Ohio State Buckeyes at 11-1. and uh, First of all, Mike, this is probably worth mentioning, uh, did the committee – get it right by putting a non-Big Ten champion into the playoff. Yes, they got it right. All you Penn State Agreed. fans out there with two losses bitching and moaning about not getting in the playoff. You conveniently forget that one of your two losses on the year was to Pittsburgh. Um, that's I'm that's cute. But they won the head-to-head, right? But how many losses does Ohio State have, and who is Ohio State beaten? Penn State's best win is Ohio State. Ohio State's best win is, oh, Michigan and, oh, Oklahoma on the road. Yeah, okay. Give me Ohio State in the playoff. The real argument was between Penn State and Washington. You can have that argument all day long because Washington's non-conference schedule was so bad. But, yeah, long story short, Ohio State should have been in. I'm with you. I, yeah, can't forget that Penn State lost to an 8-4 Michigan, or 8-4, 4 Penn State. Uh, an eight and four Pittsburgh team. Add a boy. That's charm. There we go. We got it. Third time's charm. Uh, as well as a like, I don't know what was it like, forty-two point loss to Michigan. Oops. Playoff teams don't get beat by forty-two points, Mike. That's right. Um, Penn State's real good here at the end of the year, but they did not earn it earlier in the year. So yeah, I'm totally good with Ohio State. They're gonna lose there. four games next year. I, I'm still of the the opinion that if if Ohio State doesn't rush the field goal team on at Happy Valley. They win that game and they're twelve and zero here. So if that game's at the shoe, it's very different result. That that is a good point as well. So, 
Ohio State's the right choice here. Now, as far as this game, um, I kind of have no idea what to make of this game. And I'll tell you why is that I think if if one team here comes out and plays their best game while the other team, you know, makes a couple of mistakes and, and isn't fully mentally there, it doesn't matter which team that is. Whichever one comes out and plays their best game is going to win. Um. If Clemson comes out and plays a clean game and is firing on all cylinders and they unleash Deshaun Watson's running ability and the whole thing, the Tigers have the have the ability to be the best team in the country. And that includes a silly good Alabama team. Meanwhile, if if Clemson comes out, you know, firing only on, you know, 80-85% capacity and Ohio State is just firing on all cylinders and going, I see no way that the Tigers can beat the Buckeyes here. And so this feels in a lot of ways just like a toss-up game, Mike. Uh, it's a toss-up game because both of these teams are really, really good, and I expect both teams to play very well. What it comes down to for me is that Clemson is a better all-around team, and they're going to have the best player on the field in Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's been the best player in the country for the last month and a half of the year. Um, he kind of put a lot of pressure on himself early in the year, wasn't making a ton of the throws that we've seen him make last year. Bar set pretty high when he had the type of year he had a year ago, having 5,000 all-purpose yards and doing what he did to Alabama in the national championship, nearly single-handedly leading Clemson to a national title last year. A lot of pressure was on Watson this year. He's played very well down the stretch. The thing I'm going to be watching in this game is, is Clemson going to be able to shut down Ohio State's running game. I'm not talking about just the running backs, but I'm talking about JT Barrett running the football. That's where JT Barrett's been most dangerous this year is when he's been carrying the football. JT Barrett's a very, very good quarterback. He's one of the, he's probably one of the top five or six quarterbacks in the entire country. But JT Barrett is not as good of a passer as he is a runner. When Ohio State's been in trouble this year, the Penn State game comes to mind, especially in the second half. It's been hey, you know, Ohio State needs to throw the ball a ton to win. JT Barrett's more than capable of throwing the football, but he has struggled with accuracy on deep throws down the field. I think Clemson, with their pass rush, even though they've had some issues on defense, they seem to have cleaned it up here late in the year. If they're able to get a good enough pass rush on Ohio State and JT Barrett, make the Buckeyes one-dimensional and shut down that run game. If they get the pass rush and make JT Barrett beat them through the air, I think Clemson is going to have as good a chance as any uh, to win this football game. But I expect both teams to play extremely well. I'm going to take Clemson, even though they're giving three. Uh, other way around, Ohio State's giving three. Um, Clemson's three-point underdog. I like the Tigers to win this game, Joey, um, because they're going to have the best player on the field in Deshaun Watson. He's played extremely well. I expect him to play well again. Tigers have yet to play their best football yet this year, and I think they're ready to do it against the best team they've played all year long in Ohio State. And I think this is the right time for Clemson to really step up to, you know, what everybody was expecting them to be from the beginning of the season and kind of hit on all cylinders here as we hit the playoff and, you know, potentially try to get back to a national championship game. Both these teams, Mike, have been so kind of inconsistent throughout the year. We talked a lot about how Clemson started out kind of slowly. Uh, they struggled against teams like Auburn and Troy, and uh, they, you know, they gave Louisville a game, but then, you know, they struggled a lot against Florida State. Had some tough times. Uh, Ohio State didn't really have that many tough times for a lot of the year, but then the last couple of games, especially on the road at Michigan State, a, a bad Michigan State team gave 
Ohio State about all it could handle. Um, and, and just in a lot of ways, I mean, you kind of don't know what you're going to get from either of these teams just anytime they run out of the tunnel. And so I think that's the big thing that makes this game so tough to predict. Um, I think ultimately if I had to pick the single biggest you know, factor in this game, the best player in this game, it's probably Deshaun Watson, the quarterback at Clemson. Uh, I, if, if it really came down to it and I said, you know, either of these teams had one drive to go win the game, you know, with two and a half minutes on the clock, I probably trust the team that's in the hands of Watson more than the hands of JT Barrett. So yep. I think I picked Clemson here, but this is, this is really such a toss up that I, I just kind of struggle with what to think of it and, and who's going to win. I mean, I, I could easily see this game going either way. Um, I, I think with these two teams, if one of them is firing on all cylinders, really if both of them are firing on all cylinders, I think Clemson is probably the better team by a little bit, just in that there's no one thing that is, you know, kind of an obvious shortcoming, whereas I think if Ohio State is firing on all cylinders, the passing game is maybe not perfect, but... My wife has given me the stink eye. She comes from a big Ohio State family, and so she doesn't like any of what she's hearing right now. So I, I'm not gonna, you know, go any uh, all in on this game sorry, at all Maggie. either way. Yeah, sorry, Maggie. Um, but uh, yeah, I give me Clemson in this game. I don't feel great about it. I think this has all the makings to be like a phenomenal game. Um, Man, give me the Tigers 35-31. One more quick thing um, about this, and I think a lot of people are looking at, you know, Clemson hasn't played as well as they should have all year long. Ohio State, really, you know, they've played well all year. I think a lot of people um, are kind of overlooking the fact that Dabo Swinney and his team have been here before. They've been here and and done that so to speak they've gotten through the first semifinal they've gotten to the national championship they went toe-to-toe with Alabama they have the confidence to get this thing done whereas Ohio State's a very very young team Um, a lot of the guys on the roster haven't done this before they haven't I mean they've played on big stages before but they haven't you know gotten to the playoff had a chance to play for you you know to get themselves in and play for a national championship when the going gets tough and the game's tight late you trust Urban Meyer to have his guys ready to play, but the players play and the coaches coach, and Urban Meyer can prepare his team as much as possible, and he's as good as any coach in the country to get his team to buy in and have them ready to play in big moments. But this is one of those scenarios here where I can see Clemson having a bit of an advantage just because they've played on this type stage before, an elimination-type style here where they know they need a win to get to a national championship, and they've done it, and they did just a year ago and they're every bit as talented or even more talented as they were last year. So that's another thing to look at in this game. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be very tight. I have Clemson by about a field goal, um, but I could see it going either direction. I'll echo that too, Mike, in that the thing that a lot of people are going to remember is last year's Ohio State team had a really good defense and then lost a lot of players that went to the draft. I mean, this year's defense from Ohio State is, is very young, but, man, they're very, very good. Um do not under, underestimate that Ohio State defense. So they, I mean, they can make a lot of plays and they can really change games. Especially, we've seen from Deshaun Watson this year, he is able to throw some interceptions, uh, and that's a change from what we saw last year. 
And if Deshaun Watson turns the ball over a couple times, this Ohio State defense is fully capable of not only you know taking the ball back, but turning it into points. So yep. uh, that's another factor to kind of keep an eye on in this game. Mike, you want to do ACC Picks of the Week? Let's do it. All right. I picked first last week for the uh, Part 1 series, so you are up to pick first here this week. I got Georgia Tech to cover 3.5 against Kentucky. Um, oh, don't you put that evil on me. I just did. So now you're going to be <laughs> even more nervous than you were before because that's my pick. So uh, I like the Yellow Jackets. I think they're about a touchdown better than Kentucky. I don't think Kentucky's any good. I'm prepared to be proven wrong if need be. It'll be, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, you won't be too happy about that. But give me Georgia Tech, cover three and a half, over Kentucky. Uh, Mike, I'd say I, I, I would say that I'll, I'm going to start drinking now to prepare for that, but I would apparently I'm going to start drinking like two hours ago to prepare for that, so... We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for my pick, and I, I don't feel great about this, but I'm going to go with it. Um, I guess we'll lock it in. Give me Florida State plus seven against Michigan. I love um, it. I don't know for a certain that Florida State is going to win this game. I feel like they will, but there are, there are some very clear paths for Michigan to take this one. So... I'm not going to sit there and put my full confidence behind it, but at the very least, I do really like the prospects of the Seminoles keeping this thing within a touchdown. Um, so in the Orange Bowl on the evening of December 30th, give me the Seminoles plus seven points. Uh, I think they cover I think they cover the spread as an underdog here. Very nice. Fair, fair, enough, fair enough? I like that pick. All right. Good deal. Mike, anything else before we get, anything else before we get out of here? I'm good, man. It's still you don't lit. want to talk about the uh, the virtues of pronunciation and stuff? No, I, no, I think we're good. <laughs> Apparently, I could use like a lecture on that. So, anyways, maybe maybe next time. It's lit. <laughs> it is lit. Okay. Uh, all right, Mike. We're gonna go ahead and uh, get this posted wherever we can and try to advertise it because all five of these games we just talked about are in the next like forty eight hours. So let's roll. Uh, we got we got to hustle up on that. But in the uh, in the meantime, you know, we're gonna have to work on. Sometime early in the new year, we're going to talk about uh, the recaps of all these games. Not only the games we've talked about tonight, but also the ones that we did in part one. So uh, everybody stay tuned for, for that. Yes. I didn't really lead you there that well, so I uh, agree that's with my you. Bad. Stay tuned. We're going to have that going. <laughs> recaps galore. Enjoy the bowl games, everybody. That's right. We're 55 minutes in. We are still lit. So... Uh, all right. Anyways, until uh, until we get to those recaps, if you guys want to find us on Twitter, I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can also send us an email if you got your thoughts and comments and questions and things that you want us to talk about, or just want to do a welfare check, see how we're doing, or tell us you think we suck, or you know whatever you think. Uh, you can send those all to the longest email address known to man: basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. I'm getting this down to like a rhythm. This is great. Um, you can find our podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google Play, and a lot of other places. We'd love it if you would go in and review and rate and give us your thoughts and your feedback. And, again, tell us if you love us or you think we suck or whatever. 
uh, please do that. So, and Joey uh, also mentioned that you know if um, if you guys do review, he'll send you each a hundred dollar gift card to a restaurant of your choice. So he volunteered that before we went on to record. So um, go ahead and review. And conveniently, that is not on the recording. So. <laughs> If uh, if you're trying to take me to court to make sure I follow up on that, prepare to be disappointed. It's fine. And by $20 gift card, he means thanks for the review. We'll try to make the podcast better. I like how you started with $100 gift card and then went down to $20 gift card and then got down to potential shout-out on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. We're going down. It was, it, was, it was a very slippery slope to begin with, so we just... Let's go with, hey, we'll just try to improve the podcast. I need you to go back and say that again so that we can use that as, like, the podcast slogan. It was a very slippery slope to begin with, so just, you know, uh, you know, hey, whatever. This is our podcast. All right. Let's get out of here before we embarrass ourselves anymore. All right, let's do it. Mike, we'll talk soon. We'll uh, recap some of these bowl games, and uh, we'll talk then. All right, cool. Sounds good. Thanks, Joey. You bet. You guys... Appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for listening. Appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us this first season. We've had a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys listening and uh, uh, and sticking with us. So let us know what we can do better. But until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver, the OCC. Thanks.